there, true believers. This is Head Speaks, a proud member of the Headcast Network family of shows. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Moss, a.k.a. Head. This is my mostly monthly Headcast, where I talk about comics, movies, role-playing games, TV shows, and anything else geeky that I want. So sit back and enjoy the ride. Let's begin. And welcome back to Head Speaks, and this portion, once again... a speeding bullet. In the great hall of the Justice League, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is... What's in Head Long Box? Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. We're going to keep looking at Armageddon 2001 and this mega monstrosity I'm working on. Uh, As I've been doing, I've got special guests, other podcasters, friends of the internet, whoever I can find... Bump down the street, whoever happens to crawl by to pull in and help me out with this, uh, whatever I'm doing here. This time I've got a couple of special guests. Uh, the first one I introduced, this first time, well, it's the first time they've both been on this show, uh, but this first guest has been on my Task Force X previously. He is one of the, the one of the godfathers of my podcasting. He's one of the guys I look up to. Than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Michael Bailey. Hey there, Mike. Hey, thank you for having me here. I'm always, uh, yeah, always happy to talk about Superman. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a rumor I hear about you. Yeah. <laughs> and also joining us. From a little podcast and blog called uh, Coffee and Comics, we have Mr. Clinton Robinson. Hey, Clinton. Hey, how's it going? All right, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure talking with you finally. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So, as you guys know, we're going to be talking about the next installment of Armageddon 2001. This will be the Superman Annual number three. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give a brief rundown of the comic, and then we'll start talking about it like we normally do. So, Superman Annual number three, it was cover dated in 1991. The on-sale date was April the 9th, 1991. Cover price was $2. The title of this issue was Execution 2001. Writer, Dan Jurgens. Pencer, Dusty Abel. The inkers was Terry Austin, John Beatty, Dick Giordano, and Dennis Jakey. The letter was John Costanza. Colorist, Lynn Whitmore. And editor was Mike Carlin. And this was reprinted in Superman Annual number three. There was a variant in 1991. The synopsis. Again, all this information came from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Synopsis for this story. Our story starts with Superman stopping some ex-Intergang goons from escaping from Strikers Island. Superman then goes and stops the group they were joining up with. 
Superman contemplates that inner gang is a group he should finally stop once and for all, if he can find the time. Speaking of time, Wave Rider is recapping the first issue of Armageddon 2001. He then watches as Lois and Superman meet atop the Daily Planet. He then touches Superman to see into his future. He watches as in a year, Superman stops Brainiac's latest mad scheme. He then watches as Clark and Lois get married. Watches as Manaheim nukes Metropolis, killing Lois, Jimmy, Perry, and the whole Brady Bunch. Clark returns to Smallville, takes some solace in Lana, who eventually he marries. Our story picks back up in 2001, where Superman is taking out a nuclear sub. He orders the crew to get out of the sub and then sinks it. Afterwards, President Forrest is talking with his men and recaps how after Metropolis was taken out, Superman watched Superman 4 and decided to take out all the world's nuclear arsenal. The President and his men don't want to be sitting duck in case he missed a nuke somewhere. As they contemplate how to stop Superman, a guest of honor shows up and tells them that there is nothing they can do to stop him, so stop trying. One of his advisors suggests that they enlist an ally in taking down Superman. We then find ourselves in Gotham, where Batman meets up with Gordon, who gives him a slip of paper with an address that he, he needs to go to. Once there, he meets up with the President. Forrest tells him that Superman is getting dangerous, as he killed seven men who didn't get off the seven time. When Batman refuses, Forrest tells him that if he doesn't do it, he'll find someone else who may not be as quiet. Batman stalks off, telling him that he's going to look into this, and if the President is lying, Batman will turn into his worst nightmare. As Forrest leaves, he thinks that after Superman is taken out, Batman needs to be next. We rejoin Clark as he returns to the farmhouse, Lana, and his mother, whom we discover has Alzheimer's. As Clark and Lana talk about how the world's changed, Bruce Wayne shows up to have a talk. Bruce tries talking Clark out of his mission, but Superman tells him that he can't. Bruce notices that Superman and Clark seem to be operating as two different people. Meanwhile, Tim Drake infiltrates the Capitol and finds evidence that Forrest was telling the truth. As Superman comes out of one of his tunnels, he's confronted by the Martian Manhunter, Booster Gold, and Fire. After a little fight-fight, Superman throws Johns into a fire that they started during their battle. Then the Air Force takes a whack at the Man of Steel. After he takes out the jet fighting him, he hears Fire scream. Even though he, the fire couldn't physically hurt him, psychologically, it could, and John Jones had a heart attack. Superman tells Fire to leave him alone before something else happens to the rest of them. Clark returns to the farm, packs up Ma and Lon in a, two, a two-dimensional car, it looks like, and flies them elsewhere. Back at Stately Lane Wayne Manor, Tim tells Bruce that he discovered that Forrest was telling the truth. Batman arms himself with a special weapon and takes off to find his friend. Beneath the Antarctica, Clark and Lana are discussing their future when Bruce calls Clark to meet him. In Crime Alley, an armored Batman uses the Kryptonite ring against Superman. After a little more fight-fight, Batman is finally able to weaken the last Kryptonian. Batman and Robin stand and watch as Superman dies. Back in present time, Wave Rider realizes that Superman is a monarch. He then flies off to check another hero, Batman, in Batman Annual number 15. Let's go ahead and hear from uh, Mr. Bailey. Mike, what's your thoughts on this this issue? Uh, I've loved this issue since 1991. I It's, it's kind of funny. I, I One day I was hanging out with a buddy of mine. It was a Saturday, and we just happened to go by the comic shop. And on the rack was this uh, book called Armageddon 2001 that I had seen ads for. And I'm like, ah, big crossover. I'm in on this. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And while I didn't buy all of the annuals that summer, I obviously, since I was a regular buyer of the Superman books, uh, picked up the Superman ones. And to me, at the time, I was just like, oh, this is like Dark Knight Returns, except different. 
And now I'm like, oh, this is like Dark Knight Returns, except this kind of makes more sense in why they would uh, put Batman and Superman into conflict. The um, the whole thing with Inner Gang uh, was a was was a big thing at the time. Uh, in fact, around this time, they were about to start up Superman: The Man of Steel as a title, and it was a and it was during that summer that he finally kind of put the kibosh on Inner Gang once and for all. So, seeing a future where Inner Gang nukes Metropolis kind of had some resonance. Uh, the only thing that kind of bugs me about this story today is, and it's not this story's fault, but it's kind of become this cliche for if, if, if Lois dies, Superman just goes off the deep end. Yep. You know, either, either he just leaves or he like just goes and lives in the fortress and has a fake farm uh, <laughs> where Wonder Woman has to come and visit him or he puts his fist through the Joker's chest and kills him. <laughs> You know, it just seems like if Lois is gone, Superman is just undone as a person. And while that has kind of a bit of a resonance, you know, as, as a husband and, you know, as somebody who's been married for over a decade, I kind of get that. But at the same time, I'm like, really, is that what you're going to do every time? But at this point, that wasn't like... I can't blame this story or actually put this story in that kind of context because this was before all of that. So uh, I love the art by Dusty Abel. Uh, not quite Dan Jurgens, but uh, close enough for me at the time and, and now. And I've always really liked the costume that he wears in the future. You know, Superman with this high collar and the gloves uh, and the wacky little S on the belt. I mean, it's just it's just really cool. And at the time and now, it's really funny that uh, that this is one of those books where uh, my appreciation for it hasn't really wavered in the you know almost thirty years since it came out. It was really cool at the time seeing Tim Drake as a CIA agent who's kind of working with Bruce on this yeah. because to me it was like, oh, he gets to grow up. <laughs> He's not going to be beaten to death by anybody. So I love this book. I really do. I, th I think it's great. I think it takes the Dark Knight Returns trope and the armor and the kryptonite and all that and actually works it into a story that kind of makes sense because Superman really does go over the edge in this story. But you can do that with a kind of like alternate future type thing. Right. I, I have to agree with you about the, the Lois dying and Superman losing his crap. I mean, just... It's been overdone, but see now, like I said, this is probably the first time it's been done. You can't really blame Dan Jurgens for that. I mean, mm -hmm. and like I've said elsewhere, I on well, a couple of Facebook groups I'm on, I, I love Dan Jurgens both as a writer and as a uh, artist. So I I can't think of a Jan, Dan Jurgens story either he's written or drawn that I dislike. Uh, but enough waxing Dan's car for now. Let's go ahead and hear from uh, Mr. Clinton. What are your thoughts on this issue? I have to echo pretty much everything Michael said, except I come at it from a completely different point of view. I was just starting to really get heavy into comics about the time. And, of course, you know, I was a Marvel kid starting out. And I just happened to go through and, you know, this is one of those covers that just jumps out at you. And, oh, my God, Superman has a new costume. I had no clue this was going to be an alternate future, any of that kind of thing. 
So, you know, it's just an instant buy with that cover. Right. And again, I, like Michael said, I love this this costume, this whole issue. I don't know that I've ever disliked it in, like you said, almost 30 years since it came out. I could nitpick a little bit here and there, like the way Lois looks standing on top of the, the roof of the Daily Planet. You know, she just, they kind of drew her a little generically. But, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's just nitpicking. Right. I like the fact that they pretty much spoiled uh panic in the sky right there in the span of two panels <laughs> yeah yeah and again the, the the adult tim drake has always always been a favorite aspect of these for me and i didn't even know who tim drake was at the time so were you familiar with the, the armageddon 2001 storyline at the time or no, um, I bought this and Armageddon 2001 issue number two right about the same time. Oh, okay. So it, it, this was definitely a backtracking on getting all the pieces over several years. Believe it or not, some of those annuals were actually hard to find at a time. <laughs> that actually doesn't really surprise me because it's not like this was one of those series where... You know, uh, they were re- they were printing you know copy upon copy upon copy. I mean, this was this was the first summer where DC actually had an event go through its annuals, which is something Marvel had been doing at the time. You know, for a couple years before that. So, but I don't see them overprinting Legion ninety one annual number whatever it was just because it's part of Armageddon two thousand and one. Though it's kind of funny that you say, Clinton, that you said that you were mainly a Marvel reader and this grabbed you. Uh, a good buddy of mine from my early twenties, uh, who uh I hung out with for a number of years and was also into comics, was a was a huge X reader in you know 90 91 and then going into the 92 and 93 and these were the only dc books in his collection because he loved the idea of this alternate future so it seems like from anecdotal evidence of two people uh this was a story that could grab marvel readers just because it was so different from what because marvel marvel's kind of the was the king of the hill for the alternate futures at this point Right. Uh, with you know, with Kang and with you know everything going on with the X Men, so I can totally see a mainly Marvel reader liking this series. Or the What If series. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Very much in the vein of that. So yeah, no, I could definitely see, like you're saying, Mike, a Marvel reader seeing this and going, "Oh, well, let me check this out." Now, Mike, I hate to like you know contradict you on anything, but you're saying you know they didn't really do copy upon copy. Uh, my copy of this issue is third printing. Well, this, uh, you mean the Superman one's the yes. third printing, correct? I'm, uh, I was talking about some of the other ones that you might oh, have had okay. more like of a difficulty. Oh, specifically like Legion and... Yeah, Hawk like and Legion Dove or something such. like that. Yeah. yeah, Superman wasn't like a big seller at the time, but I can see the one that mimics Dark Knight Returns being one that they sold out of uh, on numerous occasions. Mm-hmm. And now that you've told me that there's multiple printings of it, I have to find them. So thank you... <laughs> Uh, thank you for that. I appreciate it. That's, yeah, that's the, great. The third printing is just like a silver background to the cover as opposed to uh, isn't the, the main one a gold cover. 
I believe so. I've uh, you know I bought mine off the stand, so I'm assuming that it was a uh, a first printing. Uh, the kind of digital copy I'm looking mm-hmm. at seems to be. Does it have any kind of uh, like a, a Roman numeral three? Yeah, yeah, yeah it has so, the Roman numeral. Yeah, that was DC's big thing at the time mm-hmm. to show that that, that this was a, uh, a a reprint and or a, or another printing instead of the original. And there are a few others that went to at least second printing, I know. But yeah, I can see what you're saying. It's not not everybody was jumping all over themselves to get. <laughs> to get you know hawk and dove annuals and well especially annuals i mean annuals were a lot of times were relegated for well they're just a throwaway story or something that's not really important to the to the main story you're reading in the monthly book for the most part but like michael said this is one of the first if not the for the first series that dc put out that incorporated the annuals it made the annuals a bit more of a a must-have if you will Mm-hmm. So I could see them under printing and having to go back for a second and third printing because, yeah, they didn't do as many. Cause it's an annual. No one's going to pick it up. And then it'd be a great storyline, people picking it up and then having to go back and do some more printing. So I could definitely see them doing, especially on some of the bigger books like Superman and Batman, the Hawk and Dove. Okay, not just me, but... <laughs> Though it's kind of funny, and I don't want to uh, jump too far ahead in your coverage, but it's amusing to me that now that they're doing that, DC is doing like these complete runs, like you know the complete Mark Wade Flash. Right. That they're starting it with with Armageddon with the Flash Annual from this summer. Because that was one of the first Flash stories he wrote. Right. And that was like a year before he took over the title. So now this really kind of bizarre story. I I mean, I would love personally an Armageddon 2001 omnibus. Agreed. Um, But to be fair, I want an omnibus for all of DC's crossovers. (laughs) So this isn't like like Armageddon 2001 is special in that. Well, most of them about War of the Gods, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> as far as my thoughts on it, like I said, as far as the writing, as I said earlier and I've said elsewhere, I love Dan Jurgen, so I love the, the writing in. I think that the writing for it is fantastic. It's a good story. It's it's well told. Uh, like Michael said, it, it takes kind of the, the uh, Dark Knight premise and makes it better, makes it a little more realistic, if you will. Again, realistic in air quotes. As far as the art, I'm not as into it as you guys are. It's not horrible. I've seen a lot worse. But some of the pages, I said the first page of Superman getting fired upon, he looks a little elongated a little. I don't know. Some of the panels look a little odd. And I don't know if it's the art, the, the uh, artist, or if it's the inker, or what it is. But you know, some of the panels, uh, pictures, I say when they show... Uh, Commissioner Gordon, I kind of question that because to me it didn't really look very much Commissioner Gordon there on page 22. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming it was Gordon with the, the uh, way Batman's talking with him, but it just didn't come across to me very Gordon-like as far as the way he looks. So I say the art for this entire story, I'm not as fun as you guys are, but I can see where you're coming from. But yeah, I, I do like Tim Drake growing up and actually doing something and, and, yeah, like I said, not getting beat to death or whatever happens to Robbins. 
overall, it was a, it was a good story. Like I say the art didn't de- detract me from it as much as it could have. I do like the fact they referred back to the Martian Manhunters, how he used to have that vulnerability to fire. And even though he's no longer physically vulnerable to it, he can still mentally and, and uh, psychologically be affected by it. Yeah, that, that was a thing that DC would kind of go back and forth and back and forth on. Uh, you know, it, it's funny to me, though, and, and, and this is true with pretty much all the annuals from this summer, and all, annu- and all future stories is that when you... <laughs> I laugh because I actually think it's kind of funny. Whenever a, a story, uh, like, so this is 1991, right? right? And this takes place in the future. So obviously the Justice League of 1991 is still going to be the Justice League in 2001. Uh, because they, no one's going to have the forward thinking that maybe we need to break up the team. And it's how the DC Universe looked at that time. This is going to be even more amusing in another Superman annual from uh, down the line, where it's like everybody is from 1991 in that right. annual, and it's supposedly like almost 10 years later. So, but, you know, having John and Booster and Fox, uh, I was actually a little surprised Booster got taken out so fast, because Dan is very protective of that character, and I remember when he when he took over Justice League in 92 and he was doing Justice League of America, I seem to remember some interviews with him around that time where he felt like they made characters like Booster too much of a joke and he was going to take him back to a more serious kind of bend. Uh, So it's kind of interesting that the first guy that gets taken out here by having his Legion flight ring zapped (laughs) with heat vision was Booster. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, but I guess it also goes to show that, I mean, out of the group, he probably is the weakest of the three that were there. Yeah, but, eh, well, I don't know. I would think that a guy with super breath, that somebody covered in flame, wouldn't be that much of a problem. <laughs> well, that's my kind of pause, I'm looking at fires, I'm saying, well, she's all, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know, but it just goes to show that Dan, even though, you know, that's what that's Dan's pet project, if you will, he's not playing favoritism and making Booster more powerful than he should be just because he mm-hmm. likes that character. And you do see that a lot with certain writers. They've got a character that they really like. That no matter how impossible or implausible the situation may be, that character is going to do a lot better than he would have if you're looking at it fairly, if you will. So it's just another thing that I really like about Dan's writing in this. I think also that this is uh, not that I'm you know going to defend Dusty Abel because I you know I I am only familiar with him through his Superman work because uh, he would do an issue here and there right before the death, but it seems like with annuals they always kind of use artists that are just kind of starting right because I. I don't know. Maybe they think, well, they can't screw up an annual because, you know, not many people pay attention to it. So it's like here you have him and, you know, he's he's almost like like you said, in certain shots, it looks a little wonky. But it's but to me, I always looked at that and said, wow, he's almost there. Yeah. You know, and it's close enough to Dan Jurgen's style that it kind of makes sense. Like, oh, wow, this really. This this seems like something that Superman that that, that a Dan Jurgens written Superman story should look like. Right. 
Well, I say one of my main problems with a lot of the, my problems with that other than Gordon looking totally off is it looks a little long. It looks a little longer than it should. Yeah, it's not badly drawn. I mean, unlike certain writers, I'm not going to mention you can draw hands and feet. <laughs> but so yeah, it's not. He's not. Yeah, like you said, it, he's almost there. He's a little more work, a little more practice. He could be a fantastic artist. It just yeah, some of the panels just kind of throw me off a little bit. And I say, then I mentioned the synopsis. Him in the car looks kind of two dimensional. Maybe that's just me, but <laughs> when he's taking Ma and Lana to safety, you know, it is funny to think that the idea of Martha getting Alzheimer's is really upsetting. Uh, and it was kind of daring for him to do that. You yeah. know, that, that's something like when I was reading it, I was reminded, uh, you know, even though I was very you know, aware of the fact that this came first. Uh, but it kind of reminded me of Peggy Carter oh. in Winter Soldier, uh, where they just took that idea and took it that one make me cry step further <laughs> Uh, but it's just, it's just, you know, when you, when you think about what Clark is going through in the story and they don't spend a whole lot of time on it. So it's a lot of stuff that you kind of have to infer is that he marries Lana because she was always in love with him and now Lois is gone. So it was easy. (laughs) Kind of his fallback, if you will. Yeah, and and it's just like I think him marrying Lana was such a I don't know. It was like it was like even more mean than some of the other things Byrne would have him do because it seemed like every time he, you know they parted company when Byrne was writing the character, Lana, you know, it's like a, the 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 kiss on the forehead, and you know it's you know the, he's gone. So it's just I don't know. It's just. To me, it, it just seems kind of cruel to, uh, to to do that sort of thing. Well, to go along with that, uh, page 49, right before Clark leaves to go fight Bruce, you know, they have their big parting goodbye. You know, Lana goes through all the big things and says, OK, I love you, Clark. And he just says, me too, hon. <laughs> yeah, and this Super is dickery. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that's what if that's what Dan was going for there. If it, I, I don't quite know how to take that, because yeah, you do have a point. And Michael's been saying, I mean, Lana was always there for him, but she wanted him more of a love interest, and he wanted her more as a sister, if you will. Especially the way uh, John Byrne always wrote it. But I, I can see how after the death of Lois, he would want to fall back to somebody and. I could see him falling for Lana, but I don't know. But I do like the fact that they, the battle after that took place in Crime Alley. Batman's like, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die here, so let's do this. <laughs> I like the fact this is not the Batman has had three weeks to prepare for this fight. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the super... Even though he does win the battle in the end... The super-prepared Batman, the, the Bat-God, as he becomes in the near future for this story, anyways. Um, so, real quick, back to the cover. I'd like to get your guys' uh, what I'm doing is grading these on a scale of 1 to 5. 1 being, this is totally crap. And 5 being, it needs to be hung on the wall. 
maybe get it, you know, slabbed and hung on the walls as a, as a poster. What would you guys give this? Where three being you like it, between one to five, uh, Michael, what do you think about the cover? I, I'd give it a solid four. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's, uh, it's to me, uh, very memorable. And I think of the three Superman annuals from this summer, this is definitely one of the more memorable ones uh, that they put out there. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's Superman in that weird costume. It's Batman. You know, all, you, you put all that together and it's just it's just a really um, a, a really striking image. And Mr. Clinton, what do you think about this cover? What would you give this on a scale of one to five? Again, I'm going to have to echo Michael. It's a four. I love the cover. Everything on it speaks to me. I don't think I'd want it blown up to poster size, but, you know, I could definitely hang it on the wall. And I'm going to have to echo you guys, I guess, because, yeah, I mean, it's not the best cover I've ever seen, but it is really good. It's better than just all right. It's it's a good cover. It's, like I said, it's close to being perfect. It's... Like you got Batman, like you guys said, my uh, you got Batman and Superman right in the front of the cover. You got the Just League off to the side, off in some sort of uh, shading. I think it's a good cover, also. So good. One uh, one thing I did want to mention, uh, just for a historical sake, is that this wasn't the original Superman Annual Number Three, or it wasn't supposed to be. Uh, there were supposed to be Superman and Action Annuals in 1990. Oh, okay. And there were house ads created with, uh, promoting those. The Superman one uh, was going to be by Walt Simonson, and it re- it was going to retell the Sandman Superman story from the beginning of the Bronze Age. Yes, and that, that would eventually and that would eventually be released right before Doomsday in 1992 as the Superman special. So, but that was originally supposed to be an annual that just. Took a little longer than expected to um, to get out there. Okay, I, I, now that you mentioned, I do remember seeing those ads for that. So yeah, I, I definitely I've forgotten about that. You mentioned them. I go, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, Michael, do you have any other thoughts on Superman Annual Number Three? Ah, uh, lots of fun. Uh, one of my favorites. I love Armageddon two thousand and one. Just as a uh, as a story, and I think of all the annuals, which I have read all of them, right. uh, this is definitely the stronger one because I remember most of what happens in it. <laughs> and Clinton, what are your thoughts on, over any other last thoughts on the Superman annual? It's a great story. Uh, it's definitely a gateway into DC if you were a Marvel kid like I was. I really don't have any bad things to say about it it's like mike said it holds up it's if it's not the most solid of all the annuals it's definitely in the top three so you can't go wrong with it well i say again just echo you guys yeah it was a great story it was it was a fun read like i said you can't go wrong with dan jurgens and you know batman superman and like i say you can't fault it like we said earlier for the whole Superman going nuts because Lois died because this is one of the first times it's been done. So looking back, it's like oh, another one of these stories. But if you look at it in context, it's yeah, Dan Jurgens was doing something that you didn't see as often as you see now. So 
Yeah, I figure it's a great story. Well, unless you guys have any other thoughts, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up right here. Um, you guys will be back in a couple of months, but in the meantime, uh, Michael, want to tell everyone they can find you on the internet if they're interested in hearing more about you. Oh, very, uh, very easy to do. I am uh, at the uh, fortressofbailytude.com, which is the home of the Fortress of Bailytude podcasting network, which has hundreds of episodes of various shows for you to listen to, mostly about comics. Uh, in particular, if you're interested in this era of Superman, my buddy Jeffrey Taylor and I do a show that hopefully by around the time this one, this show's coming out, or later in 2018, depending on you know when this airs, uh, hopefully we'll be back with some new episodes as we've been recording them lately. Uh, and we did cover all of the Armageddon 2001 annuals, uh, plus the main series, if memory serves, or all these Superman Armageddon 2001 yeah. annuals. Let me let me rephrase that. Uh, Jeffrey read all of them for the show, and we kind of touched on them, but we didn't give them all full coverage, uh, like uh, like you're doing here. So yeah, FortressOfBailyTwo.com, real easy. And Clinton, I'll show everyone where they can find you if they want to hear more of your talking. <laughs> Well, if you want to hear more of my talking, I host a little show called the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Uh, it's available on iTunes and Stitcher or directly at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. But more related to this topic, a couple years ago for the 25th anniversary, I blogged about Armageddon 2001 as I read back through them again. Uh, you can find that at armageddon2001.blogspot.com. I'll get mine at the end of the show, but I want to thank you guys very much for taking time out of your busy lives to talk to me about this. I've heard from Clinton over my G.I. Joe podcast and on Facebook and stuff. And again, Michael, your, your, uh, the fact that the show you just talked about, the uh, From Crisis to Crisis, that was one of the shows that got me into podcasting, one of the ones I looked up to. So one of the first ones I started downloading. So again, wax your car a little bit, but it was a fantastic show, and I can't wait to hear more of it. Uh, but until next time, we're going to go to a break. Uh, thank you guys for joining me, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. What's up, everybody? This is Mr. Throwback Thursday from the Mr. Throwback Thursday podcast. Along with my co-host, Bill, every Thursday, we bring you classic hip-hop. Classic. You know, all the good stuff. The stuff that you forgot about. The golden age, pre-golden age, back to the original era. Each week, we bring you hip-hop headlines. So we let you know what's going on with your favorite artists from back in the day. We bring you Wu News. We dedicate an entire segment just to the Wu-Tang Clan every week. Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with. We bring you two records. One is a one and done. One is a record of the week. We give you an artist of the month. We give you all the classics. Classic. Come and check us out. Every week we're on iTunes, Stitcher, and at MrThrowbackThursday.com. And if you remember nothing else, always remember, new school stale, old school fresh. Can I get a tall chai? And a large black coffee. And I suppose you're here with no agenda, as per usual? On the contrary, I'm here for comics. I think I can help all of you. Hello, 
I'm the caffeinated Clinton Robinson, and I host a podcast called Coffee and Comics. On this podcast, I summarize, review, and discuss comic book issues, stories, and related media, usually in the span of time it takes to have a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'm joined by a guest, and sometimes I'm flying solo. So pour the coffee, take a sip, and turn up the volume as you listen to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, and directly on coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com. And remember, this is where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding, comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube Podcasting Network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. And now back to Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed those promos. Check out all those shows. Great shows, one and all. Uh, the last two were my guests this episode, and the first one was one I recently did a promo swap for. And again, I'm in old school hip-hop in my real life. I love old school rap, so definitely a show worth checking out. But let's continue on today's show. I wasn't going to include that this next segment in today's episode, but you're going to soon find out why I included it. Here we go with a little head. This episode, I'm going to talk about the newest addition of my family. Pull back the curtain a little bit. I'm recording this segment, hopefully the night before I release this. It's March the 12th, 2018. On Thursday of this past week, that would have been March the 8th, my first granddaughter was born. So since this is my show and I can do what I want, I'm going to take a few minutes to welcome Mackenzie Sherry Moss into the world. My oldest son, Timothy, and his fiancée, Katie, uh, they're due to get married this November, I believe it is. Uh, they had their first child, giving me my first grandchild, a, daughter, a granddaughter. Uh, Mackenzie, they, they really like that name, and Sherry is named after my mother, uh, Tim's paternal grandmother. 
uh, who they love dearly. He loves he loves his grandmother dearly, and she's passed away. Oh, back in early 2000s, 2002, I think it was, 2003, uh, she died. Uh, both the boys, Tim and Steve, miss her dearly. So Tim wanted to kind of honor his grandmother in some way, so he gave his daughter his grandmother's name as a middle name. That's a sweet, touching moment. Uh, she was six, no, four weeks premature. She weighed four pounds, seven ounces. Otherwise, she's a healthy, bouncing baby girl. Um, congratulations, Tim and Katie. And I know you're going to both be great parents. Again, short segment for this one, but I just wanted to throw that out there and let the world know that I am now a grandfather. Lord help us all. And uh, just let the kids know I love them. And they gave me a beautiful granddaughter. <laughs> all right, that's it for this. Uh, hold on a minute. Without any sort of breaks, we're going to jump into the next segment. in the sky I can go twice as high Take a look It's in a book A reading rainbow Who can read on the run and have lots of fun? Who can do a handstand and read everything on the newsstand? Who can run forward and back and read everything in the stack? Head and Head's Bookshelf. On this episode of Head's Bookshelf, I'm going to briefly talk about the Dexter series of books. Uh, the books were written by Jeff Lindsay. Apparently there was eight books in the series. <laughs> I say apparently because I, I downloaded these and read, well, seven of them. For some reason, I thought Dexter's final cut, the seventh book, was the final one. So I stopped. I downloaded that one and I read the series and I guess this is a good way to end it. I mean, I'll get that in just a minute. But then I find out there's an eighth one. I'm like, oh, well, darn. Now I'm trying to find that one. I got to check with the library and see if maybe they have it. But uh, the Dexter series, that first book came out in 2004. Briefly, there's a Showtime, or there was a Showtime show, Showtime show, based on the books that came out in 2006. Uh, the first book, again, I haven't watched the show yet. A friend of mine keeps telling me I need to, and I plan on it eventually, just podcast comics family tv everything else i don't have time for these backlog of movies i've got he tells me i need to watch uh, breaking bad and this show and that show it's on my list jacob but enough about that dexter this novel series novel series the novels uh, basically tells a story about this uh guy that works for the miami pd forensics he's our blood splatter expert who in his spare time, his part-time, his hobby is, well, killing people. He's a psychopath, sociopath, forget the exact wording for him. He, he likes killing people. But instead of killing, you know, random people or, you know, whoever he comes across, he's a bit more refined and a bit more humane. He hunts down those that that's bypass the law, the ones that he knows is guilty. He's got to be 100% sure but he, again, I, I guess I should have said this to begin with, spoilers for the, the book series, and probably not much for the TV series, but we'll get that in just a minute. But spoilers anyways, for, for Dexter, all things Dexter related, okay? Anyway, so he hunts down people that have escaped the law, 
and his, his stepfather, not stepfather, his uh, foster dad, name was Harry. He's got a thing called the Harry Code that he lives by that he's got to make sure, he's got to be sure the person's 100% guilty and if they've skirted the law, gotten away with it, he hunts them down and he kills them. Uh, it's a very exciting series of books. Uh, in the books, and I talk about Eddie Jacob, and I think it's a, played a little bit different on the TV show. Uh, the TV show, the book and the first season kind of line up for the most part. There's minor differences here and there. And then talking with Jacob, I guess the book and the series diverge completely. But as far as the book, uh, he's got, and I wasn't quite sure at first, but yeah, I couldn't find out. It's like there's this, uh, I don't want to call it a demon. There's something inside his head that gets him to kill people. He calls it his dark passenger. I'm not 100% certain if there's actual a, a creature inside there. Not a physical creature, but like a some sort of force inside of him. Or if it's just his psychotic break and his mind making up this 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 dark passenger. The way the book reads, the way I'm reading it, unless I'm missing something or forgotten something, it comes very across as there is a, a, a second party, if you will, inside his head. Uh, but again, it tells a story about Dexter trying to, you know, be a forensic uh, lab scientist guy during the day. At night, he hunts down the killers, the murderers, the people that need to be killed, and he takes them out. He's very cautious about it. And again, people can tell he's a little off because he, uh, again, he's not very good at being human, in quotes. But that's one thing he's trained himself to do, and that's one thing Harry taught him to do, is that he needs to be more human, be like other people, act, if you will. And in this book, he's dating this uh, this woman whose ex-husband was a bit of a sociopath himself. He beat the kids and her, and he was a very abusive guy. And doing so, again, the dark passenger, if you will, comes about due to traumatic stress in, your life, in the person's life, according to the series. Uh, Dexter witnessed his mom murdered, which brought his dark, uh, the dark rider out, or dark passenger out. Uh, the boys were abused by their father, which the, the kids, the boy and the girl, his girlfriend's kids, uh, they have dark passengers also. And so throughout the series, Harry's trying to hone the kids, train the kids, teach them how to be human. Because again, he doesn't want them to become serial killers and someone wants to do it someday. Plus... I don't know if I'd say he loves them, but he cares for them as much as he can. And he hates to see anything bad happen to him. So he wants them to learn how to cope with having the uh, dark passenger, if you will. Again, there's also serious talks about his sister who's on the police force. Uh, she's not really taken seriously because she's a beautiful woman. And you know how cops are. Pigs all of them joking. But you know, men in general aren't very, you know receptive to powerful women, especially when they're hot. So she has a lot to deal with on that. Uh, there's a sergeant, I think his name's Dokes, who doesn't trust Dexter. He thinks Dexter's up to no good. Uh, there's some funny interplay and uh, some interesting happen. Th interesting things happens to Sergeant Dokes. Again, like I said, there's a total of eight books. There's Darkly Dreaming Dexter, Dearly Devoted Dexter, Dexter in the Dark, Dexter by Design, Dexter is Delicious, Double Dexter, Dexter's Final Cut, which I thought was the last book, but couldn't find out there's another one called Dexter is Dead. Uh, Final Cut ends, 
Well, again, I don't want to give anything away. Definitely go out and read these books. But Dexter Final Cut, like I said, it ends on a note where I'm like, well, I guess you could end it here. I'd like to see more about what's going to happen to them. But it ends it at a point that they could end the book there if they wanted to. But they didn't. I just need to find that final one and read it. But anyways, again, this is going to be a short segment. Uh, it's late. Late-ish for me. And I got to work in the morning, so... I didn't want to end it with just the the uh, What's on Head's bookshelf, or What's in Head's long box. That's what it says, What's in Head's long box. Talk about Charm Gun in 2001. I want to give you guys a little something extra. Again, I know it wasn't a long segment, only about 10 minutes or so at that, but it is what it is. Definitely check out the Dexter book series by Jeff Lindsay. I think it's a great series of books. Um, if you want more of these, if you want a better recap, let me know what you guys like about what I'm doing, what you don't like. As usual, you can send your information, your, your comments, your whatever to head at headspeaks.com. We'll leave a message on the website or the Facebook page. Again, head, my uh, website is head.headspeaks.com. Facebook, just search for Headspeaks. You'll find me there. Uh, I think we're over on Google+. I don't use it very much. Uh, the Headcast Network's on Twitter. I don't tweet very much or tweet very much, whatever it is. I usually try to tweet when the shows come in. Otherwise, I don't really think much about Twitter. I need to get more into it, I guess. Uh, you can also send me an MP3 file if you want to record your thoughts and send to me. Again, you can send those to head at headspeaks.com. And finally, go over to iTunes or I guess now it's Apple Podcasts and leave me some feedback over there. I would love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear what you think about my show. Are you enjoying this? Uh, am I talking to myself here? Well, let me know what you think. And again, sorry this is a shorter episode as far as these segments. Uh, things got carried away, the birth of the granddaughters I talked about earlier, and just life in general. I'm recording this Monday night. I plan on releasing this tomorrow, Tuesday. If all goes well, knock on wood. It's going to be knocking my head if you couldn't hear it. Uh, anyways, thank you guys very much. Let me know what you guys thought about this segment about uh, Dexter, if you've read it, if you watch the show, let me know what you think. Uh, let me know what you guys think about Armageddon 2001. Did you enjoy my guest this time? Michael, again, as I said, I've talked about Michael. I've washed his car so many times, or waxed his car. I forget how Shag and Rob say it, but uh, waxed. Waxed his car so many times. Because between Michael Bailey and his buddy Jeffrey Taylor on the uh, From Crisis to Crisis podcast and... Shag and Rob on the Firestorm and Aquaman podcast. Well, those are the guys, besides, again, as I talked about, uh, Kevin Smith getting me into podcasting. Those two are the, the two podcasts that I listened to religiously when I started. Those are the ones I loved. And those are the ones I kind of tried to model myself after for good or ill. So anything I do wrong, blame me. Anything that's right, I gotta give them full credit. So, Mike, thanks for coming on. I, I loved having you on. I look forward to talking again in a couple months on episode, uh, probably episode 38, I think it is. And Clinton, you've been a big supporter of mine. You, you've been there. You've supported my podcast. I appreciate that, sir. Uh, you like my posts. I, again, thank you very much for appearing on Talking With Me today. I'll be talking with you soon again. But uh, that's it for this episode. So, until the next time, I'll see you kids on the flip side. And remember... Until next month, head has spoken.
thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google+, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts, and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast, my podcasting friends Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a Real American Hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All, all comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on Head Speaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments, and do not express the opinions of Head Speaks, unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. Head Speaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast, are all part of the Headcast family. So, join us next month for another wonderful episode of Head Speaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night.